Welcome to the White Coat Life Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Certified Coach Paula White, MD. If you're a physician in academic medicine looking for skills to understand and take control of your experiences, both in work and out, this is a great place to start. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you've all tackled at least one thing in the last week that you really didn't feel like doing and got it done anyway. One thing I don't always feel like doing is putting out a podcast. I was sort of laughing to myself this morning because while I was driving to work, I was listening to a podcast and the person was apologizing for some background noise that we might be hearing and then commented, oh, well, maybe my production team will be able to filter it out. Well, first of all, there was no background noise. Her production team must have been good at their jobs. But also, there are many times that I wish I had a production team. I'm my whole team. I'm the writer. I'm the talent. I'm the sound editor, the producer. So if the end product is less than perfect, you get what you get. As long as I'm relaying my content, that's, that's all that matters to me. So here we are in season two, the second year of the White Coat Life Coach podcast. Now, technically, the podcast launched over a year ago, but with the break over the holiday, we're just past 52 episodes now. I wanted to talk today about the triple threat issue, as this is likely something that everyone in academic medicine has had some level of interaction with. For those of you listening who are not in medicine, this is the expectation or goal of excelling in research, education, and patient care, all three. And a reminder, if you're thinking, well, I'm not in academic medicine or maybe not even in medicine, so this doesn't apply to me, I'm going to just invite you now to find the parallel in your own career or life and make it apply. I mean, if you're going to listen, you might as well make sure you get something out of it. Anyway, I did a little bit of research and it sounds like this idea surfaced around the 1960s. The idea was that academic institutions strove to hire docs who excelled in all three for their faculty positions, each faculty member thereby fulfilling multiple needs of the institution. Interestingly, as I was skimming a commentary about this that was written in 1988, I saw that the authors referred to said doctors as men. More than once, they said teaching institutions would strive to hire men with these attributes. In 1988, come on. Yes, I know we were far from a balanced workforce in the late 80s, but I am quite certain there were plenty of women physicians then. They were not a rarity. There were definitely enough for it to be way out of date to refer to doctors as men. And this was in a high-impact journal. I'm not going to say which one, but I am giving them a giant eye roll. But anyway, by the 80s, it was becoming evident that trying to fit all or most academic physicians into this trio was unrealistic at best. And yet here we are decades later, and this is still a thing. There are countless editorials and commentaries out there describing the pitfalls of this goal. To name a few, we have things like productivity goals, which are much harder for docs to reach when they're taking the time to teach residents and medical students, but are compared to the same benchmarks as their private practice counterparts. The tendency to be judged by the number of publications rather than their quality and their contribution to patient care or to medical science. The use of patient satisfaction as a surrogate for quality of care work hour restrictions in medical education. And before you get your hackles up, 
I know that these have many, many benefits, but like it or not, work hour restrictions result in far less clinical exposure and training than people got before they existed, which means that clinical faculty have fewer opportunities to supervise, provide feedback, impart knowledge, etc. Decreasing opportunities for research funding, the inability of government funding to keep pace with the volume of physicians in training necessary to prevent critical doctor shortages, and on and on. And like I said, there are countless publications out there about this. Some of them outline all the flaws with the idea, which are many and valid. Some of them are proposing solutions to overcoming the barriers, and some of those are realistic solutions and some I would consider to be highly fanciful. And some propose alternate expectations. One way of thinking about it that really resonates with me is to think of it like being a triathlete. Triathletes are rarely world record holders in any one event because they split their time and focus and training on three different events. And we're not triathletes, we're more like deck athletes when you consider all of the other things in our lives that we're expected to not just be proficient at, but to be good at. I heard this analogy from another coach, not from a publication, and I just think it's really apt. But if you Google academic medicine triple threat, you'll come across a ton of articles and none of them support continuing to keep this as an ideal. It has been published about for literally decades, for longer than most of us here have been doctors, and for longer than some of you have been alive. And yet, here we are having this discussion, because even now, in 2023, it's still a thing. Most, if not all of us, were exposed to some level of indoctrination during our training that if we were to go into academic medicine, the ideal is to achieve the triple threat, or even that the expectation is that one must achieve the triple threat. This indoctrination was probably not overt. It was probably more of a hidden agenda type thing, which just makes it all the more insidious. It's just crazy to think that something that's widely acknowledged to be out of touch with modern medicine continues to be so pervasive. Like everything in life, there are exceptions out there. There are unicorns who seem to achieve all of these things with relative ease. But for most of us, that just isn't the case. And like everything we talk about in terms of coaching, the goal today is not to change the way the medical establishment thinks about its physicians or to get medical educators to stop impressing on their trainees, whether intentionally or unintentionally, that this is the goal, or to change the system in any way. Our goal is to see what you're thinking about this and what that's creating for you. One basic thought that probably most have is something like, it's not possible to excel at all three. In fact, didn't I just say that a few seconds ago? I sure did. But that's not a fact. It's a thought. How do we know this? Because there are people who excel at all three. So clearly it is possible. So accepting that this is a thought and not a fact, let's think about what kind of feelings that thought might drive. It might make someone feel resigned or frustrated or futile or defiant. Let's go with resigned for a minute. So if you're thinking it's not possible to excel at all three and feeling resigned, as you can imagine, actions that are likely to come of feeling resigned are things like giving up, not trying, pointing out to yourself how you're not excelling at all three, 
pointing out to yourself how other people might excel at one or even two, but nobody you know is great at all three. And the result, of course, is that you've made it impossible for you to be a triple threat because the actions you're taking drive you in the opposite direction. Okay, but what if you don't even really want to be a triple threat? If that's the case, why is it even a problem? Well, it might not be. You might be someone who's really well-adjusted or has done some coaching on the topic and feels really good about what their strengths are. But you also might be someone who thinks they should want to do this. This is your lobster. You don't want it, but you think you're supposed to want it. You think there might be something a little wrong with you if you don't strive for this goal. You must be different and therefore inferior to your peers. So how does this one play out? Well, maybe it makes you feel inferior or inadequate, like I just said. Or maybe it's something like paranoid or isolated. If you're feeling paranoid, for example, you'll likely spend a lot of mental energy questioning what's wrong with you that you don't have the same level of aspiration as your peers, and probably a lot of negative self-talk, and you'll build up a really great argument for why you must be flawed. I'm going to take a small detour here because this is where many of us get tripped up when we're first learning how to coach ourselves. So you might have been listening to my description of what would happen if you were feeling paranoid and you might have been thinking to yourself, well, that's not at all what I do when I'm paranoid. When I'm paranoid, I bust my butt until I feel like I've caught up with my peers or achieved what's expected of me. But there's where you're wrong. Don't worry if you were thinking something like this. It's really common. The thing is, though, those types of actions don't come from an emotion like paranoia. They come from feeling determined or driven or something like that. And you don't get an emotion like determined or driven by thinking there must be something wrong with me. You get it by thinking something like, I am absolutely going to catch up with everyone else or I'm going to die trying or I'm going to achieve what they're achieving. Remember, we have something like 60,000 thoughts a day. That's a lot. There's a ton of jumping from one thought to the next, and sometimes it happens so quickly that we don't even realize it. When you get confused like this, it's called mixing your models. With a little bit of practice, it, it becomes really easy to recognize. Okay, so what if you're good with not trying to be a triple threat, but you think it's necessary to get or keep an academic post? Some thoughts behind that are things like, They'll never hire me because I focus too much on fill in the blank and am lacking in the other two areas. Or my job is at risk because I don't publish enough or teach enough or have enough clinical hours or have high enough patient satisfaction scores. Or I don't belong in this job because the expectations don't match my goals. Or there aren't enough hours in the day to achieve everything that's expected of me. Or I'll burn myself out trying to do all of this. Or I'm always going to be miserable and overworked trying to do all of this. Okay, lots and lots of other choices out there, but those are enough to go with. Pick any one of those thoughts or whatever similar thought comes to mind for you. Model it out. Do you see what it creates? They all give you tunnel vision and cement the belief system that this is the only way, but it's impossible. Believing that to be the truth is a recipe for either disengagement or panicked overcompensating until you're completely burned out. Thoughts like this don't allow the creative part of your brain to see the situation in any other way. 
They don't prepare you to advocate for yourself that if your job allows you to play to your strengths, everyone benefits. There's no problem solving. Now, does that mean you need to change the way you're thinking? Only if you can recognize it's creating a problem for you and only if you want to. Before we wrap up, I just want to give you all permission to love whatever parts of academic medicine you love and to not love the parts that you don't. There's nothing wrong with you for that. And if you're the unicorn, good for you too. If we all liked and disliked the same things and were good at the same things, we would be in a whole lot of trouble. All right, my friends, thanks for joining me today. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your Sunday, and I will see you next week. Opinions or views on this podcast or on my website are my own and should not be attributed to my employer.